Easy. The volatility and the upswings and the moods. Sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome back to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. U.S. stocks climb along with the U.S. dollar. Crude oil resumes its route and gold declines. China's stock boom indicates that it might be ready for an ultra-bull rally. And the Indian Reserve Bank holds its benchmark rate at 8%. Today on Money for Nothing, we'll have a look at what China's stocks are likely to benefit uh, from what many analysts believe are additional rounds of interest rate cuts due from the PBOC. Erwin Samft of Standard Chartered will join us for that. That discussion. We'll also talk about slowing global growth and the likelihood of renewed currency wars. That's with financial author Satyajit Das. And in our final segment, we'll take a look at Convoy's MPF index with Kenrick Chung of Convoy Financial Services. Francis Lun of GEO Securities joins us as guest host this morning. Good morning, Francis. Good morning, Anita. And welcome to the guest hosting experience here on Money for Nothing. <laughs> wow, uh, such a heavy burden. It is a heavy burden. But, you know, I know that you will rise to the occasion. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I hope so. (laughs) Okay, let's take a look at today's top stories. Uh, U.S. stocks rose overnight in a broad rally on speculation that the economy is strong enough to withstand tighter monetary policy. The Dow rose 102 points to a new record high of 17,879. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq were also up 0.6% to 2,066 and 4,755 respectively. Energy shares on the S&P 500 surprisingly rose 1.3%, even as crude oil prices resumed their fall. And European equities also rose on prospects for increased stimulus. Gold fell for the third time in four days. Currently, the price of gold is $1,196.50. The U.S. Federal Reserve has been saying since last March that it will keep rates low for a considerable time. Fed Vice Chairman Stanley Fisher spoke yesterday at the Wall Street Journal CEO Council annual meeting in Washington, and he signaled that officials are closer to dropping the considerable time vow, but... We don't want to surprise markets. On the other hand, we can't give precise estimates about dates that we don't know. And that's why the emphasis always goes back to the data and not to the date. Now, you may say, how can you give me a, how can the markets have a correct date if you don't tell them? Well, they can guess what, when the data will be in the situation that uh, justifies starting the process of raising the interest rate. The first increase is the start of a new process. It is not the end of something that matters any longer. Oil continues to be a top story this week. The price of oil erased much of yesterday's gains overnight as an agreement between Iran and the Kurdish regional government portended more supplies for a global market already awash with oil. Brent crude fell 2.8% to $70.54 a barrel. The IMF head Christine Lagarde weighed in with her thoughts on the current state of the world energy market. 
there will be winners and losers. But on a net-net basis, it is good news for the global economy. And we have a, a rule of thumb that is based on a lot of modeling and analysis of what is taking place. But essentially, if we have a 30% decline, and we have a bit more than that, I mean, assuming we have a 30% decline, it's likely to be an additional 0.8% for most advanced economies, because all of them are importers of, of oil, whether you look at um, US still, uh, Japan certainly, Europe absolutely, China a big driver of growth. All of them are net oil importers. Sabine Shells is a commodity strategist at the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. She says that last week's meeting means that OPEC has been dissolved. This has been the effective end of OPEC. Uh, Saudi Arabia, for now, okay. uh, Saudi Arabia has uh, decided against the will of some of the other members, the poorer members, if you yeah. want, right, Venezuela, Nigeria, and so on, uh, that it wants to drive U.S. shale producers out of business. Um, it, it, this was not uh, a scenario we had envisioned. Uh, we thought uh, Saudi would, Im- would be implementing uh, a small cut, not a big cut, because clearly the high oil prices haven't helped them. They haven't been in their interest because it encouraged too much uh, U.S. shale oil production. Yeah. But equally, we didn't think they would you know, hurt themselves as much as they will be now as oil prices are falling lower. But in any event, the approach that they're taking now effectively means uh, driving out uh, U.S. shale oil producers. We know shale oil production costs are not uniform at all no. um, uh, across the U.S. Um, and we will need to see lower prices because the response is likely to be slow. It will likely take uh, between 6 to 12 months before they start to react. Um, So for now, you know, it will be lower prices. We think WTI may hit $50 a barrel. Um, And and we think it is is also conceivable that Brent uh, will go below $60 a barrel. The situation has put many countries in a very difficult position. Dennis Gartman says that Russia is already in panic mode. Russia finds itself in a very, very uncomfortable position. Probably the only country in a worse position is Venezuela, but the Russians are already panicking. Look at what's happened to the, uh, to the ruble over the course of the past three months. We've gone from 36 rubles to the dollar to 53 rubles to the dollar. To put that in the proper perspective, in the world of foreign exchange, a 5% move in foreign exchange in the course of a year is a big move. Here we've moved 30% in the course of four months. Russia finds itself in a very uncomfortable position. It does not know what to do with it. Putin, whom we thought was strong and smart, now appears to be relatively weak and very unsmart. And he's actually blinked in the past 46 or 48 hours when he uh, gave up on the uh, South Stream uh, pipeline, which he wanted to have. Russia needed, and they've gone ahead and said, no, we're going to go with the Europeans who will put pressure on him to use the uh, Turkish pipeline. That's a blink on his part. Sure. He sees he's in trouble. This is a very difficult time for the Russian economy, for the Russian people. Francis, Eurasia yeah. Group President uh, Ian Bremer said yesterday that, you know, this notion that Putin is being pushed further into a corner by falling oil prices yeah. leaves him little option but to continue his aggression towards Ukraine and <laughs> confrontation with the West. So I'd like to get your take. Are, are falling oil prices adding oil, so to speak, to an already dangerous situation? Well, I, th- I think the right thing to do is to really retreat from Ukraine and get the sanctions lifted uh, instead of going further into the Ukraine quagmire. Of course, he's uh, determined to to uh, 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 
uh, create chaos in Ukraine so that to to punish the pro-Western government there. But in doing so, uh, Russia is hurting itself. And uh, quite severely too. And uh, of course, uh, falling oil prices did not help. And uh, uh, I, I don't think that, uh, Putin uh, should continue the, uh, their, his policy in Ukraine. He should uh, uh, take a step back and look at the situation and say he really need help. He needs some uh, maybe he needs some loans from the IMF not in the not too distant future. So I think uh, that is really not the way to do to 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 be tough on Ukraine. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Moving away from Ukraine and looking uh, closer to home here uh, towards China, the bull market feeling appears to be back in China. Mm-hmm. The Shanghai Composites advanced to a three-year high yesterday, extended the gain over the past month to 14%. Francis, can you bring us up to date on this? Well, I think it's <laughs> uh, uh, actually the the bull market really started in full swing last Friday, when the turnover reached uh, 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 in Shanghai and and Shenzhen uh, uh, increased to seven hundred billion uh, RMB, and which which was the highest in the world, I think, uh, 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 even exceeding in New York Stock Exchange. So. And, 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 and you have, um, many, many people opening new accounts. And, uh, of course, the rumor mongers are in and everybody's chasing stocks. And, and also, uh, uh, you, can, you can also look at the IPO market. 1.6 trillion RMB has been plowed into the, uh, the, uh, new share, the IPO market. And the average, uh, uh, rise for the new stocks, uh, is something like, 2.5 times, 200, 250%. So, so the, the myth goes on now. If you put money in the stock market, you're going to win. So uh, that attracts even more money. So you have an unbridled uh, a bull run. And, and, then, and because of this bull run, it really helped lift uh, uh, the uh, Hong Kong market yesterday. All right. Let's bring in Erwin Samft, who is the head of China and Hong Kong Equity Research at Standard Chartered Bank. Good morning, Erwin. Yeah, good morning. So, Erwin, you know, Francis is using the words an unbridled bull market rally. I think Morgan Stanley has also said that there's potential for a full-on bull market rally. Do you agree? Well, I think the – maybe two points to add to those comments. Uh, firstly, the, the Asia market is up uh, consistently over the past eight months. So the bull run kicked off in April and as usual in these uh, the way these things roll out a lot of the gains have been made very quietly to begin with the first sort of 30% um and then we've had this spectacular move on high volume more recently uh secondly uh, i agree with francis that um because the asia market is so retail driven um you know the fact that it's starting to move up very quickly is just going to attract more money in the short term. So, we think in some ways the easy money's been made, but that's not going to prevent the market going up more in the near term. Still, some of the themes, uh, the China themes, I should say, mentioned on this show in the past week have been things like importing disinflation, slower growth, uh, slowing real estate market in China. <laughs> How does all of this translate to a stock boom? 
Well, I think uh, uh, the market really looking at the uh, falling interest rate. I think uh, that I think that is the mo- most important thing. And and you also have to look at the shadow banking market uh, because uh, the central banks clamp down on shadow banking. Uh, the interest rate they're paying on those uh, 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 off balance sheet items, the uh, what what you call the asset management uh, uh, packages, the interest rate uh, been down from 6%, about 6% to 3%. And also the interest rate pay on the Alibaba's uh, which meaning uh, you deposit money with uh, uh, Alibaba, you get pay interest. I think it fell from 4% to 2%. So if you're not making too much money, in the shadow banking deposits or or in the younger bond, you might as well put it in the stock market because uh, you are getting uh, maybe maybe third well at least on average you get thirty percent this year, and if you are lucky, if you put your money into the new shares, you get two hundred fifty percent. So I think uh, it is it, is really a a game of uh, percentage gain. Uh, if you if you earn much more money in the stock market, so there, there are more people playing the stock market. Okay, so Erwin, you are expecting another round of rate cuts uh, to follow the PBOC's latest moves as soon as, I think, the first quarter of next year. Now, tell us what this implies for Chinese stocks. Which ones will be the winners? Yeah, so our view is that there will be at least one more rate cut in the first quarter. Uh, I guess what gives us a bit of pause beyond the middle of February, which is when Chinese New Year will occur next year, is just that we've had two months of a rebound in the Chinese property market already. And we think that the easing policies that began in April of this year were really triggered by the downturn, severe downturn in China's property market. So in the month of November, for Tier 1, Tier 2 cities, volumes grew 13% year-on-year. We've seen uh, prices uh, in Tier 1 and Tier 2 cities start to go back up. So th- this is early days to say that they're going to stop the easing process. But if we get to, you know, if we have one more rate cut and we sort of find ourselves in February, March with quite a um, clear improvement in the mainland property market, we should actually be thinking more about when the government withdraws stimulus. That's not something we're concerned about today, but it is coming up on the horizon. For, for sectors, uh, we're now recommending people rotate into laggards. So the rally in the Chinese shares has been very narrow. It's been focused around financials, uh, including you know banks and property. Uh, there's several sectors that have been left behind. So the machinery sector, the consumer sector and, of course, the energy sector because of the decline in oil prices. So these three have totally missed out on the rally so far and looks very good way to make money in the next three months, uh, you know, rotating into those laggard sectors. Okay, so quickly, uh, before we wrap up the segment, can you give us any uh, specific stock tips, (laughs) your top picks? Uh, well, if we just look through uh, in consumer, I think it's time to start looking back at consumer staples. Uh, this has been a you know terrible sector this year. It's a good time to look back at Macau Gaming. Um, in the machinery sector, uh, people are looking at the railway plays, but we would perhaps look at construction machinery stocks like, uh, say, ZoomLion. And in the energy sector, it's perhaps time to look at the oil services names. You know, the, the big oils have gone down quite a lot, but actually the oil services names, 
uh, stocks like SBT Energy, um, Heilong, they've really collapsed this year. So, you know, we have very contrarian views looking to sort of pick up worse performers at this point. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Erwin Samft, and he is the head of Hong Kong and China Equity Research at Standard Chartered Bank. The time is now 8.18 a.m. And a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up six-tenths of a percent to 17,769. Australia's ASX index is also up six-tenths of a percent to 5,296. And Seoul's Kospi is up 0.2% to 1,969. Well, many of the world's uh, export powerhouses are engaged in currency devaluation as a way to bolster their economies. These efforts could trigger new currency wars at a time when the global economy is slowing. Satyajit Das, former investment banker and author of Extreme Money, joins us now for discussion. Good morning, Das. Good morning. So, uh, Das, the U.S. currently appears to be doing quite well, yet your concern is that it is being dragged into what you call a vortex of trouble by the rest of the world. Is that right? Well, I think fundamentally, if you look at the story for the last six months or so, it's been about disappointing growth in Europe, in Japan, in China, and also in emerging markets. And there are a variety of different reasons affecting each of these economies. Now, the U.S. has two things to worry about. One is the exports, particularly into emerging markets, which have buoyed their economy and also stock earnings. And the second is the fact that the Europeans, the Japanese, And also now the Chinese are starting to basically loosen the monetary strings to actually bolster domestic economies, but also to devalue their currencies to gain competitive advantage. And a stronger dollar will at some point in time start to affect the U.S. And the second thing which people shouldn't lose sight of is the fact that the slower growth is one of the factors behind the fall in commodity prices. And that obviously has some significant implications for the U.S. And in particular, it has implications for the banking sector and the debt markets, which is heavily exposed to the energy sector. So you're going to get a crunch on both sides in that, in the sense that you're going to get lower earnings for that sector, but you're also going to get a series of potential restructurings of debt and defaults in that sector, which will affect the financial system. So the U.S.'s position is perhaps not as rosy as it was, say, 12 months ago. So, Das, can the U.S. do anything to keep its currency under control, or is this just a losing battle? Well, I think fundamentally the currency wars are a zero-sum game in the sense that if my currency appreciates, yours depreciates and vice versa. And essentially what we're now seeing is a very interesting sub-theme, which is the impotence of policymakers and the limitations of their weapons. Because essentially what we are seeing is if once one country starts basically cutting interest rates to zero and launching quantitative easing, it forces other people to do so. You can see that in Asia in a microcosm where Japanese low interest rates in QE is putting pressure on places like China, on Korea to actually lower their interest rates to avoid their currencies appreciating. But the problem is all this does is actually make the problem global and starts to actually export deflation around the world. And that's what we're seeing. And it's very difficult to see individual policymakers actually 
be able to influence that outcome. Mm, so I think Christine Lagarde from the IMF has called this uh, new mediocre, uh, which is a period of low growth. How long do you think we are stuck in this uh, situation that doesn't move, if you will? Well, I think it's very difficult to see how we're going to get out of it very quickly. And if you look at Japan, essentially what we are seeing is a, I suppose, model for how this actually unfolds, which is you have an economy which is permanently hooked on QE or some sort of stimulus or some sort of monetary accommodation. So the economy sort of lurches from it starts to get better, then people talk about putting up interest rates, withdrawing stimulus, the economy basically starts to slow, and you do QE. It's a bit bit like strawberry fields forever, except it's QE forever. But the one thing I would say is that's not necessarily bad for financial markets. And as we've seen, essentially, financial markets have now completely decoupled from the real economy, and they're only really concerned about interest rates. I suppose the best way to characterize it is most investors are essentially like heroin addicts who are not really asking where the heroin is coming from as long as they get their fix. And basically, they're focusing almost entirely on interest rates. But the problem with that is, in the longer run, there is going to be a day of reckoning. And the problem is this time around, the day of reckoning, which is going to be upon us sometime in the next uh, little bit, is going to be much worse than 2008 for the very simple reason that the capacity of central banks and governments to react to it is much, much more limited. And the strength that we saw from emerging markets in 2008 is not going to be there this time around either. All right. So uh, everybody mark his words. The day of reckoning is coming. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. That is Satyajit Das, former investment banker and author of Extreme Money. Well, according to the latest uh, data released by Convoy Investment Research, the Convoy MPF Composite Index increased 0.74% month-on-month to 192.6% this November. Joining us now to discuss this is Kenrick Chung, who is the Director of MPF Business Development at Convoy Financial Services Limited. Good morning, Kenrick. Good morning. So uh, for our listeners, can you tell us just a little bit more about the Convoy MPF Composite Index? Okay, thank you. The Convoy MPF Index is an indicator of the overall uh, investment performance of the Hong Kong MPF assets. We cover at least uh, 100 uh, constructed funds in the MPF market with assets over 80%. Therefore, uh, it is very representative. And we announced the result at the first week of each month. So now uh, the index has increased for two consecutive months, and that's definitely good. What uh, would you say is accounting for this? I, we believe that the major reason for the rise of our Conway MPF index is the improving U.S. economy and uh, past and the coming potential economic uh, stimulus policy of different uh, countries, including the Europe and uh, a certain uh, interest rate reduction in mainland China, which, which also give uh, a boost to the stock market. But uh, do MPF members, local Hong Kongers, need to be aware of anything else, like, for example, Occupy Central? Uh, yes, it is, it's, it's very important because, you know, uh, uh, geopolitical reason or risk is always our, our main concern in every mm-hmm. aspect of investment. Therefore, our advice for those uh, EMPF members is that for those who can take high risk, they, cons- they can consider some mixed asset fund with higher portion in equity, but they have 
still have to be careful about their risk control. But for those who can only take low risk, especially those who are approaching retirement age, they have to be very careful in their asset allocation of MPF so that uh, they they should uh, consider some more uh, consecutive fund or even the guarantee fund. However, when they consider to use the guarantee fund in the MPF market, they have to be very careful about the terms and conditions because there's a certain type of guarantee fund called soft guarantee. Uh, uh, under which they, the member may not be able to get the guarantee if they cannot meet the uh, qualifying event in the fund. All right, Francis, we yeah. have to get your take on this. Uh, yeah. You know, when Occupy Central started, you were on the show and you called it something like an unstoppable force of immovable destruction. Yeah, that's right. That's that's what it's going to be. It's a stalemate. Nothing will change. Nothing has changed. And uh, it's a much ado about nothing. We get we get nothing achieved. And I think that is a sad part of it. And uh, for some students, I think for them, it's really a a whole semester lost and uh, and uh, except for some bruises and some broken bones uh, we really didn't achieve anything and that's the uh, worst possible outcome actually that is the sad truth uh kenrick uh, quickly before we depart how do you expect the index to close this year Yes, yeah, a good question. We, we expect that the MPF will close at the end of the year with positive return. However, however, uh, the growth may not be a, a big one. Uh, we, we anticipate that it may be uh, just 3 to 4% for an annual growth, unless, unless there will be some unexpected stimulus policy. However, uh, otherwise, uh, there will not be big surprise. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Kenrick Chung, the Director of MPF Business Development at Convoy Financial Services Limited. Thank you. It's Christmas time. There's no need no, there is no need to be afraid. Indeed, it is Christmas time and here at Radio 3, we are planning a grand Christmas quiz on Monday. Uh, that's Monday of next week, December 8th. Uh, that'll be held at uh, Grappa's Cellar at 8pm and we're going to have 20 teams or thereabouts going head to head with all sorts of uh, uh, pub quiz questions thrown at them, including a very exciting Money for Nothing round. So listeners, I hope you are interested. I hope you will join us. Uh, there are details available on our Radio 3 page. Okay, looks like we have lost uh, Francis uh, Lun uh, already, but thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, that was Francis Lun, the Chief Executive Officer of GEO Securities. Let's take a quick look at the numbers before we wrap up the show for today. The Nikkei is up six-tenth of a percent to 17,773. Australia's ASX index up uh, eight-tenth of a percent to 5,306 and Sol's Kospi up three-tenths of a percent to 1,972. In currencies, one euro will currently buy you 1.2 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 119 yen and the pound sterling is trading at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 13 cents. Brent crude oil is currently at 70 dollars and 54 cents. This is Renita Malhotra Hora wrapping up for Money for Nothing. Let's take a quick look at the weather forecast. 
forecast uh, for today, which will be cloudy with a few rain patches, cool in the morning and at night with fresh easterly winds, occasionally strong offshore and on high ground. The current temperature is 18 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 85%. Now it's time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. Student protest leaders say it's too early to call off the street blockades after the three co-founders of the Occupy Central movement announced they would surrender to police this afternoon. Yesterday, Benny Tai, Chen Man and Chu Yu Ming also called on the remaining protesters occupying streets in Admiralty and Causeway Bay to go home. They said their surrender wasn't an act of cowardice, nor did it mean the movement had failed. They said the campaign must evolve to fight for democracy in the long term. Pan-Democrat lawmakers said they respected the decision to surrender but wouldn't follow suit. People Power lawmaker Albert Chan said student activists needed support at this difficult time. Mainly this is a student-led uh, political movement and you should be continue to be led by the students. And if the pandemic, if those some of the old guys, uh, you know, want to initiate, you know, want to uh, start another uh, movement or activity, you know, they can do that in, in their own initiative. President Obama has called on the U.S. Congress to approve $6 billion U.S. billion in emergency aid for the fight against Ebola. He said there was still a long way to go before the outbreak in West Africa was defeated. This has to truly be a global effort, but that money would not be there had it not been for U.S. leadership. So our strategy is beginning to show results. We're seeing some progress, but the fight is not even close to being over. As long as this disease continues to rage in West Africa... We could continue to see isolated cases here in America. Professor Stephen Hawking, one of the world's preeminent scientists, has said efforts to create thinking machines could result in the end of the human race. Professor Hawking said the forms of artificial intelligence developed so far had proved very useful, but the development